0: Hi, and welcome to The Second Chapter, the podcast where Kristen Duffy, the founder and producer behind Slackline Productions, that's me, talks to women who started the second, third, or even fourth or fifth chapter in their lives and careers after the age of 35. Today I'm talking with the lovely Lola Keeley, who went from worldwide travel for a soft drinks company to tube driver to novelist and is now turning the page on her next chapter writing for television
1: more than ever people have a flexibility to their work life and they don't always get to do things straight out of school or, or university so i just I, I worry that we're losing a lot of voices that just haven't had the chance to get the experience but that doesn't mean it doesn't mean they don't have something to contribute just because they've passed 30 they could still be a new and exciting voice i just i, I think we're, we're limiting ourselves a bit there
0: Hi, Lola. Thanks for joining me today. It's nice to see and hear you. Hi, Kristen. You too? (laughs) I'm really excited to have you here today. You've done quite a few things in your life.
1: Yeah, I I like a little bit of reinvention. I'm the same way. That's
0: exactly why I'm doing this podcast, because I feel like (laughs) we have one life to live, but I'm going to do everything. So I was really intrigued by your story because you've done quite a few things I haven't. (laughs) You started with theatre. Yeah, that was uh, my
1: first love, if you like. So where did you start with theatre? Um, It's actually, it was probably a, f- a frustration of not having access to it. We didn't really have drama or anything at my school and I just, I was so caught up in it, but I had no outlet, really. Mm-hmm. And there was some great regional theatre, which I probably missed in Scotland at the time. And uh, yeah, I just, I, I got the chance, a friend had moved to London and she was like, come and stay with me and you can, you can see it all firsthand. And yeah, I just sort of didn't plan. Showed up on her doorstep and got a job working in front of house in a West End theatre. <laughs> and uh, and that was me. <laughs> so how old were you at this point? I was just about 18 at that point.
0: <laughs> so you were working front of house in the West End. And did you catch the theatre bug like you wanted to act or you wanted to write or a love
1: affair um, in I general? think basically a big total love affair with the whole world of it. And I realised seeing, you know, these insanely talented people up close that I wasn't going to be an actor or a singer or a dancer. (laughs) But it opened up that there were so many jobs around it and part of it that you could be involved with. And I think that's where the writing bug officially took hold. I wanted to make plays, give them something to do.
0: So you got this writing bug and yet then it seems like you kind of went in a completely different direction and went into the corporate world. How did that happen?
1: I think that was um partly my head got turned <laughs> um, by the prospect of travel and um a, a decent salary. <laughs> um yeah, I just I was about 21 at that point and I just kind of got this this opportunity to go and and visit. At first I thought a couple of countries. It turned out to be just a massive world travel thing, but initially it was just um a couple of trips to uh, to France and the Czech Republic, which was you know fantastic but yeah it turned into a much bigger project after that so
0: you ended up in 50 countries doing yes
1: yeah. it's just a bit crazy isn't it complete um, sidebar but what was your favorite or what was you know what oh, was kind of the surprise the the biggest issue was everywhere i went i decided i could live here so <laughs> i think we're a lot alike <laughs> Lots of periods, lots of countries <laughs> I never wanted to come back. So, yeah, I think probably the biggest revelation was South America for me. Um, I'd always wanted to go. And then suddenly I was like bopping around from Venezuela to Brazil, got to come back via like the Caribbean. I was really quite spoiled. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think probably Venezuela was like the, the biggest wow. It's funny, that's really the only
0: South American country I've actually been to. So, ah. so yeah, we um, have a Venezuelan connection Spooky. as well. Obviously, that sounds pretty fun, but also I'm imagining really exhausting. At one point, yeah. were you just like, I can't do it anymore.
1: I think a couple of years then I felt a lot like everyone was kind of moving on without me. Back in London, everyone was coupling off or getting into very serious, same everyday job and I was always on my way to the airport or <laughs> you know coming back from somewhere jet lagged and I I just I was never really present and my flatmate was lovely she kept my room you know spotless for me while I was away but I just felt like we were two ships passing in the night and it's lovely being away but eventually it's just not enough time that you're back and you and you just miss the personal connections and and being part of life you know I was missing weddings and christenings and events, really. So Yeah, it's sort
0: of like you're out leading this, what sounds like a fabulous life, but sort of missing life at the same time.
1: Yeah. I felt like I was always apologising or trying to make up for stuff that I'd missed. So it was eventually just, the I think the mental exhaustion kicked in first before the before the physical.
0: And so time to go another way again. <laughs> yeah. You came back to London at this point? Yeah, that was always my my hub.
1: Um, (laughs) Even not living there now, it still feels like home. And then
0: (laughs) what really attracted me to your whole story was this idea that you became a tube driver. I don't really know a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, I think you're the only person, I don't know, somebody will be listening and say, wait, I was a tube driver. Oh, I never knew that. But I think you're the first person I've met that was a tube driver. So how did you even start the whole... I'm going to work with
1: TfL. and um, It was a sort of, it's a sort of, not a myth, but everyone in London is kind of like, oh, well, if you go and work for the tube, you're set for life, you know. Um, They have good wages, and you can never get fired. That sort of, you know, story builds up around about it. I had a friend who was like, come and work for the company and then you've got the option because you could only apply internally. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it had some fun times in customer service. <laughs> Um, Not my forte. <laughs> well, I don't know if
0: my forte, but it just doesn't sound like the place you want to be doing customer service. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Nobody is happy on the tube. So yeah. it, it's complaints squared, basically. So that was a learning curve. And then I got to go and I think the biggest fascination for me was I love to know how things work. Yeah. So I'm very much the take things apart so you can put it back together. And the, the training to drive a train is surprisingly like that (laughs) they sort of they show you the basics of operating it but when you're down in a tunnel on your own like you have to be able to fix it as well i don't even think
0: about that part that's amazing so i know (laughs) how to drive the tube but i also know how to fix it
1: Yeah, you can call for an engineer at certain points, but unless you break down on a platform, that's not very helpful. <laughs> you would have most of the time sort of in a comfy, quiet headspace, but then every so often it was like all hell would break loose, and you'd be sort of fighting your way through the train itself to get to a fuse that had blown. And you know, people love that in rush hour. They're such fans yeah. of that.
0: <laughs> all the way back to customer service you went <laughs> with all
1: the angry yeah. commuters. <laughs> appeasing as I Go, you know, (laughs) and occasionally, yeah, high drama where you just couldn't get the train to move, and you'd be like evacuating people through the tunnels back to the station and stuff in forty degree heat a lot of the time. Right, (laughs) it's just like yeah, a a thousand people suddenly you're in charge of them, and you have to hope they all want to cooperate. Really funny when you said when you said the part about being
0: you know like this calm space. I never really thought about it that way, Mm -hmm. but you do kind of think about you're on your own, you're just driving. I don't, I never thought about. Fixing the train, being the person responsible for getting people out of yeah. – you know, through a tunnel. That's your job. <laughs>
1: ah. Yeah, you, you don't have backup really is the thing because um, I suppose if you're flying a plane, you've got the cabin crew, but on, on a train, it's like a thousand people and you. That's it.
0: <laughs> so this begins to take its toll because I mean, personally, I think the, the isolation of the job day to day And, you know, you mentioned to me the idea of being in this dark tunnel. (laughs) Yeah, literally. I mean, personally, I'm somebody who thrives on at least some sunlight. Obviously, I've chosen to live in London, so (laughs) I can live without it. Where in this career path are you suddenly going? I went from traveling and being alone to Mm. being in a tube and most of the time being alone.
1: I think, yeah, that was the biggest drag over the few years of doing it. Um, the big change was I had also settled down in my personal life at that point. Mm-hmm. So I did have like a stable home and a relationship. So there was something outside of the job, which I think made it easier to sustain. But at first you think great you know me and my thoughts i can plan a book i can sing a whole musical if i want to um no one can hear me <laughs> i love that um, too <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i did the whole whole of evita up and down the victoria line but um eventually it just what seems like fun and peace and quiet it just sort of became a, a bit too dark and depressing really
0: and did you struggle with that i mean was it was it sort of affecting your mental health was it yeah
1: i I went into effectively a sort of just one big depression (laughs) and i have to say the company were great about it i don't think it's uncommon with that kind of job and we sort of phased out um like like, can we find you another job where you can come above ground where you can talk to people and um that was a, a nice temporary solution but at that point my well she was my fiancee, she's now my wife. <laughs> um, we were looking to sort of wrap up on London and and find a smaller city where, you know, we'd just be able to look at like having kids and buying property ideally. <laughs> so that was around the point where we were kind of packing up and going and I was like ready to go freelance essentially and just not be tied down.
0: So the writing book, just living
1: with you this whole time. Were you
0: were you writing when you were driving the tube?
1: That must have been plenty of time. Yeah, just always stories, just always in in notebooks. Uh, I've got piles and piles of them from over the years. I didn't really have the the structure to know how to plan effectively then, but I was kind of working it out. Attempt by attempt, so uh, there's a lot of half baked ideas tucked away. But yeah, just as I was coming out, I thought, well, I want to do something where I'm. I'm just not doing all these extreme shifts, and I can do it from anywhere. It doesn't have to be London. And obviously, the tube is about as tied to London as you can get. That's very <laughs> true. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we went off and went off to New York and got married, which was fun. And then that felt like a nice watershed moment to make big decisions and big changes. So uh, we started sort of Operation Leave London. And then it was a choice between Manchester and Edinburgh, and we've got more ties to Edinburgh, so here we ended up six years ago. <laughs> I really like Edinburgh, so I can imagine. It's, Again, that's it's not so a little
0: sun, <laughs> but more than no. in the tube.
1: <laughs> yeah, very grey, but at least there's air. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and since then you've written, is it four novels? Yeah, it was a very um, stumbled into situation. I had written the story for fun, I uh, showed it to a few friends just to see if I was barking up the wrong tree, really. And they showed it to an editor and she was like, Hey, do you want to turn this into a real book? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Which is not the experience of publishing for most people. I know, um, there's a lot of agents and submitting and I did it sort of back to front. It's, it's been great. It's a very niche sort of part of the industry, um, mostly just LGBT romance and it's so underserved. Um, and there's so few happy endings out there. I think in media for for queer people, we're always the tragic, you know, getting killed off story. Um, and it's just been nice to dabble in the world for f- three years now, where everyone gets to be the hero. It's funny because you used the word niche, and um, you you said
0: niche to me previously, and I feel like I, <laughs> I I've started reading a role in the head and um, hey. Yeah, but it's I mean, it's a romance novel, you know. It's it, it, you mm. say the word niche, and I guess it's niche because like you say, it's very underserved. Um, yeah. At the moment, where you know there's two women in the story, at the end yeah. of the day, it's I, the I same. Know, yeah, it's the same. What's what's I guess kind of my question is I'm just, I'm going on, but my question is, you know, would it be a goal of yours to make it less of a niche market so that you know anyone understands that like this is just a love story?
1: I hope so. It ha- I've seen it happen with, um, there's been books between where it's like two guys, mm-hmm. like Red White and Royal Blue, for example. Mm-hmm. And that, that's huge crossover success, where it was just on all the, you know, summer reading lists and so many people were talking about it that didn't normally read the genre, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think just for the health of, like, our little corner, <laughs> It'd be great to see a few more, you know, just breakout books that people get the the characters and the connection and the, the gender or the, you know, sexuality of It's just a an afterthought. We're, we're getting there. There's, to get,
0: so that kind of leads yeah. into some questions about your next step, which is getting your master's degree.
1: Yes. So um, academia and I haven't always gotten on. When I went off to London at 18, I was actually two years into a law degree at Glasgow at that point. And I, I didn't know much. <laughs> I didn't know much at that point, but I knew I did not want to finish that degree. <laughs> and I did not want to be a lawyer. Those were the only two things I knew for sure. And I went off and, and, and did things just as they came to me, really, with no plan. And then a few years ago, I went back to try and do my undergrad and do something practical like computer science and have some real skills, you know. And then as I was doing it, I saw this master's. And normally I, I'm like, I don't have an undergrad. I can't apply, but they were like, we will consider relevant experience as well as your bachelor's degree, you know? And I was like, well, you know, I've, I've written these books. <laughs> and does that count validating. as writing experience? <laughs> and, um, you know, i did done some journalism, some copywriting. So I'd, I'd been around the word game for a while. I was so lucky. I went, went in to talk to them for the interview and stuff. And, um, they were just so open minded and. They just wanted people who A, really loved television as a medium and B, that they would just throw themselves into it. So yes, uh, there I was with an offer uh, last autumn to do this master's in TV fiction writing. And here we are a year later. The The final script is handed in. Very good. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for my final grade now. An interesting year to do it, obviously, with everything that's gone on. Yeah. I
0: hate to say yeah. the word, but, you know, we've all been in... Lockdown and things like that. Mm. So it's kind of, I mean, maybe it's a little bit easier as a writer. But what kind of challenges came around finishing the degree?
1: Sort of the suddenness. It's the the way it's been set up is it's a very collaborative environment, and we were used to going in every week for a couple of days and sitting in like a writer's room. Mm-hmm. You know, brainstorming ideas, challenging each other's, uh, you know, first concepts and stuff. And we'd got into this great rhythm of working as a group, which would hopefully be useful for TV. And then all of a sudden we were stuck in our flats. <laughs> and Zoom, Zoom was a lifesaver, but it's just not quite the same. Yeah. Cause some people are a bit quieter. Not everyone's got a fantastic internet connection. And, and you just, you sort of felt the disconnect a bit, I think, for the first few weeks of it all. But I think it actually became a kind of lifeline. Like it was it was structure through the chaos. Any kind of structure at that point. And any kind <laughs> it was of time like, and connection. But. It was almost, you know, the rest of the week became this grey blur, but we had our session on Monday and our session on Tuesday. So you had to be like a week and at the computer on the right day, you know. <laughs> so you always knew what day was at least. <laughs> yeah. Then on Wednesday things would go a bit hazy again, but <laughs>
0: I'm intrigued by the writer's room thing because I hadn't thought about it, but it really is how it works so often in the TV industry anyway. So yes. it seems like you've got a lot of practical, this is what it's like in the real world TV experience.
1: It was great. And and before that point, we'd had so many industry guests coming in to talk to us and to like point us in the right direction for how to do the various stages of a TV script and, and so on, and just how to be like good parts of the, the machine really so we missed out a little bit we did we had some guests on zoom but again it's not quite as good as a whole day in the room with a whiteboard really going for it and trying to rewrite an episode of eastenders or whatever we were doing on that
0: day that sounds know. so fun so. now i'm like you know like we talked about before now i'm like hmm, this is what else i want to do in my life <laughs> put it on the list <laughs> exactly the list is so long so what's your kind of dream with the with the tv fiction is it translating you know the romance type stories that you've done in books or television or is it something completely
1: different or both? That's definitely um, sort of on the list of adapting. I love the adaptation process because you get to kind of take the same people and the same stories and try and look at them totally differently but um, part of what's been so fascinating is finding out how existing TV works so I'd love to from sort of next steps get onto an existing show and just most junior person in the room or whatever but just to learn even more from the people who are doing this week in, week out and and just making the TV that we're all watching. <laughs> I've got the original shows of my own sitting in a little portfolio and I'll keep trying to add to that. And then just, yeah, any foothold or any door in is fair game. So as far as the
0: junior, the most junior person in the room, that's kind of an interesting way to put it because again, yeah. it's this it's this concept, you know, we hear about, about it a lot in the theatre and creative world about emerging. Mm. And what is emerging? Yes. It's a word that's sort of like uh, it, I think it was meant originally as a nice word, and now we all kind of grimace a little
1: bit. But yeah, it just a touch.
0: What do you think? Kind of the difference in coming in as is as the most junior, but as someone who has had literally a world of experiences, traveling everywhere, being underground. You've kind of geographically you've covered it
1: all. <laughs> um, it's. Is I think this year's been a good practice for it, actually, in the course, because we've all come from such different backgrounds. Some are fresh out their first degree, and some of us have been off raising families or working in the theatre or whatever it happens to be. I think it's, it's shown that there's a way to be, to be humble about saying, hey, I've still got something to learn here, but also not putting down your own experience. Right. So even silly things like, you know, we're talking about this character's gonna have this terrible thing happen to them and like remember that it's okay to step up and say, Well, I've actually been through a similar thing and I don't think that's how they'd react, you know. And being okay with your life and your experience being something you can mine for good characters and good stories. So um that's been a, a way of so getting used to that. Um and that's been quite empowering, I think, in a way. Don't don't brag you know, don't say I've done this. I know everything, but you can say, "Hey, I've I've got something that's valuable here."
0: Life you experience know. is so incredibly va- valuable, especially as a writer, but yet it's not yeah. always it's not always rewarded yeah. or recognized in a way that yeah. it should be. Do you feel like, from a, a sort of, I don't know, again back to the the emerging debate, but do you feel like there's <laughs> as many opportunities coming into it as a well, not second, fifth, <laughs> or tenth. As you know, do you feel like there's as many opportunities?
1: I think yeah, the arts generally maybe has to look at the age limiting of things, because there's so many things. Not so much at this stage where I'm like a couple of books in, and um, you know, starting on the TV thing is it's got its own entry requirements. But I noticed so many prizes and mentorships. And just opportunities are, they're capped at 30. Yeah, or 26, I see. Or sometimes even 25. I think more than ever, people have a flexibility to their work life and they don't always get to do things straight out of school or or university. So I just, I, I worry that we're losing a lot of voices that just haven't had the chance to get the experience. But that doesn't mean... It doesn't mean they don't have something to contribute just because they've passed 30. They could still be a new and exciting voice. I just, I, I think we're, we're limiting ourselves a bit there.
0: I obviously fully agree. <laughs> it was almost a leading question. <laughs> we have so much to say.
1: <laughs> we do. And I feel like I see a lot of stories about people who are like trying to work themselves out or find out who they are at 20. And we've all been there and it's terribly dramatic, but I want to see people working out who they are in their forties. Because they've just got divorced or they've just lost their job or, or they've just walked out of their life one day and said, I'm starting over, you know, I love those stories and, and where are they? Yeah, that's you know? absolutely true. And I mean, I think being
0: American, we always heard about this American dream where you worked for the same company yes. for, you know, 25, 30, mm. 40 years, worked your way up the company and, mm. and, and you know, that in a weird way, that sort of happened to my dad and then everything kind of fell out the bottom and then when i think about this dream of i want to do the same thing for 30 years it sounds like a nightmare
1: <laughs> i yeah. don't want to do the same like, thing but, for 30 years well how do you learn new stuff exactly. unless that job for 30 years is like every two years pack up and go to another part of the company or another country but no it would be, it'd be too much for me to stay in one place
0: and what about your love of theater? Because obviously, telling TV stories is you yeah. know, a certain performance genre. But then you have this early theater bug as yeah, well. Yeah, it's funny
1: they 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 overlap quite a lot. They they feed each other really well. And I think with Scotland being such a small industry, then there's a lot of cross pollination. So a lot of the playwrights are also the TV writers, and the poets are the novelists, and you know, so it, everyone likes to throw their hat in the ring. You used the
0: term before word game, so you just want to keep playing the word game in every way you can, I guess.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Any outlet, any any stage, any format.
0: What's sort of the the thing you haven't done yet?
1: The one the thing, stage? I like the 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 brass ring, really. I could die happy if I did it, sort of thing. It would have to be writing the the book and the lyrics for a musical.
0: Ooh, that's
1: my my first big love. And if I, I I don't really have a musical bone in my body <laughs> But if I can find a talented composer somewhere and we could work together, that would be like the dream of dreams, I think. I love that. It'd be fun. I mean there's a there's a musicality to, to lyrical writing, and that's fun in its own way. But there's just something about hearing like the orchestra strike up and that big soaring moment, you know. That'd be pretty cool. That would
0: definitely be pretty cool. (laughs) I feel like you're so, I mean, you're so outgoing and inspirational and everything. (laughs) You've said quite a few things that I feel (laughs) have inspired me. Is there anybody that inspires you, you know, when you were struggling with your mental health after the tube? Or, you know, even now when you need some writing inspiration, anything like that?
1: Uh, The one thing I've found is just a constant, like, lift or support. It's just to have a small, like, little group of people doing similar things. And not necessarily the same. I had a little group that was just novelists. <laughs> and we all kind of disappeared into our heads a little bit. But I've got a lovely little network here in Edinburgh of, you know, spoken word performers, poets, novelists. And we all just try... Not obviously at the moment. <laughs> but we've been... You know, we used to get ready together for coffee roughly once a week. And it just keeps you plugged into what's happening. And when you think, oh God, I'm never going to finish this. Um, then someone will say, hey, I turned in something on deadline. And you think, yeah, it's going to be okay. It happens. (laughs) Yeah. And knowing what's out there, what's happening in the art scene and and what the opportunities are. I think that really just keeps you going when otherwise you would just be stuck at your desk typing away and not really connecting as much. So much inspiration and sort of just like fuel, I suppose, comes from hearing other people being in the world, (laughs) you know. For an outgoing
0: person... It's interesting yeah. that you've chosen so many or you've found yourself in so many different careers where you, it, it can be very isolating and very lonely, I think. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's where lack of planning gets you. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's made me really value it as well. Like when I was stuck on the trip all day by myself or sitting in a hotel, you know, um, it made me want I just appreciate the people around about me as well because I miss
0: them didn't even talk about your your wife and your family of cats and <laughs> <laughs>
1: who, who haven't been as bad about geek crashing as normal they, they do like to sit on the laptop which is always fun but yeah i'm very lucky i live with another writer um she writes a historical crime fiction which is all very fancy and meticulously researched it's very good she's very talented and she also you know can turn her hand to any kind of word-based stuff as well so she's a great journalist too
0: do you bring your work home even though you're working from home? I mean, do you kind of inspire each other? I don't know. I mean, obviously very different genres. But if I was going to work in an office, I'd come home and, oh, here's what happened yeah. in the
1: office. I think um, I've had to learn that working out loud is fine up to a point. But we have a sort of kind of shorthand now of this is a in my head day, particularly on Ke- on Kate's part, where she'll be like, headphones on and I'm not going to resurface for a couple of hours, you know. And that's not a good time to go up and say, "Hey, do you think this character should?" <laughs> no, she's off limits. <laughs> um, but for the most part, we're sort of each other's first sounding boards. So just to work out tricky parts, or or does this sound weird? So that's really great to have that on tap. And our, we have a, we're lucky we've got a an office at home which we share. I've recently got her into my whiteboarding habit where i just have whiteboards on every conceivable surface um, and she's been launching a new project so she she finally got the bug but it does kind of look like you know in csi when they're tracking a serial killer And there's the, like straight <laughs> connected <laughs> and the the and... random pictures of like headless bodies and we we've gone very manual about it so um we have to be careful about who we let in the office yeah, <laughs> but thankfully like, we don't have right many visitors <laughs> whiteboards
0: probably look oh, yeah. like csi
1: and then on my side of the room, it's um either all romance or it's TV stuff, which is a bit darker. So it really it can either look like double serial killer, or it'll be total contrast of you know body found in river, and mine of like romantic moonlight picnic. <laughs> so, you know, and you kind of hope the two don't end up related. So you know,
0: exactly. oh, you suddenly look over <laughs> and you're like, wait, my my romantic story is taking a very dark turn. <laughs>
1: I don't want her to steal my good romantic ideas and turn them gruesome. So, you know, thankfully we're separated by about a century and a half. So, But then it becomes some mystical <laughs> fantasy where,
0: you know, the romance is over generations <laughs> yeah. and decades. And, yeah, know. suddenly
1: people are having <laughs> extra lives and stuff. <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to, I don't know, share with the world before we sign off? I guess, for all I've joked about, you know, not planning and stuff, <laughs> I, I think so many people still think change scary. And I think we're kind of programmed to, but honestly, it's rarely as impossible as it looks. <laughs> you can effectively throw things in the air and see where they land. And it won't always be easy, but I think sometimes people just need a nudge from somewhere. And if that, you know, comes from hearing some random person say it, then we, we do only get one life, like you said. And um, if if there's something you're just dying to try, then if you can make it happen, just absolutely go for it. Because, you know, nobody ever regrets the things that they they got around to doing, <laughs> you know. I think we don't always give ourselves credit as well for, you know, pulling off impossible things. We change our jobs and we care for other people and we, we do all these difficult things every day. And I think the fact that we, we do them every day, we sort of think that makes it easy. But, you know, people are out there doing pretty awesome stuff and they, they should pat themselves on the back more I think a <laughs> <Yes. laughs> yes. little, little bit of encouragement
0: <laughs> no it's really good we all need it and I don't think we give it to ourselves enough so I appreciate you saying yes, that definitely. and I appreciate you sharing it with our listeners because I hope everybody's giving themselves a little pat on the back now as they As I hear you say it. Excellent. Well, I think all I have left to say is thank you so much. It's been really, really fun chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit better. And um, I look really forward to hearing more about where all of this TV (laughs) writing goes and to watching it and to seeing the musical in
1: the West End. I can't wait to see you. One of these days. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for having me as well. It's been lovely to talk about all this stuff.
0: A little update since I sat down with Lola. The results are in, and guess who has a master's with merit in television fiction writing? Congrats, Lola. I'm so proud of you. We can't wait to see your work on television. Thanks again for listening. The second chapter is just getting started, so your subscriptions and five-star reviews mean so much. The second chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them, with a specific focus on women 35 plus. For more about Slackline, visit slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.